On March of 1994, it was around my birthday weekend. If you guys don't know it, it's March 7th. Put it in your calendars. Send yourself a reminder a month before. Go ahead. <laughs> it was a weekend that I will never forget. It basically has changed my life and impacted me still today. Now, for two reasons. First of all, I was living at Chico at the time. Now, I don't know if you guys have been to Chico, but there's this place called Bidwell Park, and that's the playground of Chico. Really awesome, beautiful area. And there's also a lot of poison oak. So I was mountain biking on, I think, Thursday morning, and I crashed into somewhere on this river, and I landed into a bunch of poison oak. Now, Friday morning, I didn't realize it until Friday when I woke up and I had poison oak all over me. If you ever had it, it's not very fun. But what happened was I had it on my waistline, right? So if you've had it on your waistline, it was awkward. And so when I'm getting on a flight, it's only an hour, but my waistline is really itchy and I've got itchy spots here and I'm feeling like I'm a CDC victim, right? Like I'm on the plane and that there's going to be a breakout, right? And I'm scratching and I'm in this place of craziness. So I'll never forget that moment. But I also was going down from uh, Sacramento. I took the flight into Ontario to my grandfather's birthday. I had uh, my grandfather Ernie and my grandpa Harold both had birthdays. One was March 5th, one was March 6th, and then mine is March 7th. So we were going down to visit my grandpa on his 90th birthday. So I'll never forget this weekend because I had poison oak. And does anybody have family that can solve any problem? You get there and you're like, well, you need to take an oatmeal bath. No, you need to take a mud bath. You need to take witch hazel bath. So I just did them all. I put them all in the thing and hopefully it worked out. So we went to the American Legion that night. My grandfather had a great birthday party celebrating 90 years. What a gift. And the next day I was at his house and my grandfather and me have a picture of that day. I couldn't find it where I'm sitting on the couch. He's sitting on the couch. My hands crossed like this and my legs crossed. We look identical. So there's what I'm going to look like in a couple years if you want to know what I'm going to look like. I'm talking like next year. That's probably what I'm going to look like. <laughs> but here's the important part. That weekend was the last real weekend I had a conversation with my grandfather. November of that year, he passed away. And so this moment with my grandfather, we were having conversations. Now, my grandfather was a great storyteller. He was an unbelievable joke teller. You know the person that could do every accent? That was him. He could give any accent and make the joke just come alive. He was a wonderful storyteller. But my grandfather said something super powerful to me that day, and he said it like three or four different ways. You know how you have that, that elder person in your life that wants to give you some wisdom, and I've got that with my father-in-law today. And he said, Jeff, make sure you take care of your body. And he said it a couple different times. And he's like, I didn't do a good job. Even at, I didn't do it at 20. I definitely do it at 50 or 60. And now at 90 years old, my grandfather could only take about 15 steps at the most before he had to sit down. He just, his legs couldn't hold him up. And he said, take care of your body. You don't realize how important it's going to be as you get older. So the guy, poor guy had a cane with a seat and he would take literally 15 steps. And then he's like, I got to sit down before I fall. And in November, he fell and broke his hip, and then he passed away. And I probably had a phone conversation saying, I love you, Grandpa. But this was the last moment that I got to share a couple hours with him. And you know what? Last words, especially when you realize they're last words, they actually become part of your life, good or bad. 
If you've ever had last words with someone that's passed and it wasn't healthy, it becomes a nightmare. But if you've had good words with someone that's passed, then it becomes memorialized in your heart and soul, and it becomes part of who you are. And this never affected me. And the interesting thing, my girls are in college right now, and I had a conversation with them at the middle of summer, like, take care of your body. This is what my grandpa said. And we were just talking, the three of us, as they were heading. And it's still something that I'm working on and I'm thinking about. And take care of your bodies. Make sure you realize this. The, the last conversation is important. And the reason why I bring that story up is for a couple reasons. Today is the last sermon or our last conversation about images of the church. We've been walking through this series called Church Clarified. And, uh, you know, Jeremy has put together wonderful things. And one day I'll explain to you what Jeremy does but he's got an unbelievable mind and brain and he comes through and develops all these things that we can talk about and gives us scripture. It's really powerful. And he came up with this, taking the church, opening up the Bible and looking at images and, and clarifying what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the bride of Christ. It's supposed to be a city on the hill. It's a hospital. It's a flock. It's a body. It's an army. Last week, second service, you guys sang We Are Family louder than we've ever heard any worship song. But you guys celebrated We Are Family. And last week we talked about family, and today we're going to talk about church as a flock. So if you're able to stand, I want to read from our memory verse. I just want to get started. I'd like to read from the scripture today. Today I'm going to read from Acts, but I want the Holy Spirit to take over my mouth sooner than later. So I'm just going to read the memory verse and, and, and use this and then pray that God will do something with us. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, he is God, has put all things under his Christ's feet and has made him, Christ, the head over things for the benefit of the church, one of the translations says, which is his body. You are the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the benefit. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I love when my sister-in-law is here, I see her smiling face, and I, I, I've said this several times at church. I said, when I stand up here and ask that, that you pray, if you pray and ask God to speak, he will speak. He can use a donkey like me to even speak to people like you. So ask God to speak to you, and he will use me, maybe in a different way than you think, to speak to your heart and watch him build your salvation experience, reveal something to your heart, and transform you. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you speak boldly to your congregation, to your flock. As we close out this last sermon series, Lord, I pray that it is a powerful moment for you and I to, to experience your love and mercy. Change us and transform us. Make us whole and let us understand what part of the flock we are and what our responsibility as the flock is. We love you, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. As I was playing in first service, here's what the Lord said. This is just like not in my notes. This is what he said. The theme of the message is in the flock, you find victory through Jesus Christ. In the flock, you find great victory. As, as long as you stay in the flock, you're going to find victory in who he is. The, the church is called the flock, God's flock. It's a common analogy when we see shepherds and sheep. We see that all throughout the Bible. When we see the shepherd and sheep analogy, it's actually what we call in pastor leadership. It's a pastoral analogy. It's used for us as leaders and, and uh, pastors and overseers, elders, deacons, whatever the Bible calls it. It teaches us how to minister to the flock. So it's actually an image for us as leaders. So I'm going to kind of give you some leadership training on how we view this verse. 
when we see sheep and shepherd and, and, and we see this flock mentality, we see it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we see it in both parts of the Bible, it usually has a, a, a greater importance. When you see something that God writes through, through some of the prophets in the Old Testament and you see Jesus confirm it in the New Testament and then the Apostle Paul confirm it in all parts of the Bible, it's of high-level importance and it shows us how we are to minister to the church and what your role is in that church. The first shepherd, anybody know who it was? Yeah, Abel, good job. And then, yeah, Abel, first shepherd, early on, Cain and Abel was the first shepherd. The great shepherds in the Bible were Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and who's the most famous shepherd? King David, good job, you guys are really good today. So far, we're 0 for 2. We could strike out, that's early, so... In the Bible, we have sheep and a shepherd. Who are you guys? Finally, one for three. You guys are batting at 33%. In baseball, that's good. In real life, you're losing. So uh, just is how it is. The church is a flock is a big part of the beginning of the message. And then we're going to talk about who the shepherd is and then the under shepherd. And that's kind of the, the mentality. So let's talk a little bit about church as a flock. The church has this depiction or image as a flock. And really what it is used for, it's emphasized to show how much God loves us, how much he cares for us, how he, he shows his care through this image. God owns the church as he owns everything in this earth. But he also tenderly wants to care for you, minister to you, and love you in powerful ways and ultimately protect you from whatever this world has. The beautiful part about the flock, it shows us as sheep that we're in dire need of a shepherd. The church has this, the flock here has this ability to wander. We got any wanderers in the room today? We tend to wander away and we, without supervision, we get ourselves in trouble. And that's what we're to learn as we're talking about the sheep and the shepherd. And here's the reason why. When you walk out those doors, everybody turn your head and look at those two doors out there. When you walk out those two doors, there's wolves out there. Some call it lions. And if you allow yourself, the wolf will devour you and take you right out of the will of God. And all of a sudden, you'll go from a sheep to a goat. That's not what we want at this church. Sheep don't have the best reputation in the animal kingdom, they're not the fiercest, they're not the smartest, they're not the fastest, they're dumb. We all have heard a message about how dumb they are, they're defenseless, they're incapable of fending for themselves, they really need help. And this image shows us that we need a shepherd just like the sheep need a shepherd. That's the purpose of this, that we really, it shows us that the flock needs a shepherd. We can't go on our own. Now, to kind of, kind of sink this in a little bit so that you can see, I want to go back in time just a little bit so that you can see how much the world has changed. Let's just say 100 years. Let me give you some statistics of what happened just 100 years ago. Anybody know what number that would be? 19? 19. Good job, you guys. Any math teachers? It doesn't sound like it. So 100 years ago today, the average, uh, the average person lived to the age of 47. Today, just 100 years, women live almost to 88 years old, men about 86 and a half, just under 88 for a woman, almost double in 100 years. Isn't that crazy? 100 years ago today, 95% of all homes had an outhouse. You know what an outhouse is? It's not in the house. 
my wife would not go to the bathroom five times if there was an outhouse in the middle of the night or she'd be cold, right? There's an outhouse. So they didn't have indoor plumbing. If you had indoor plumbing, you were um, very rich. Anybody, Daddy Warbucks, same kind of time? He had lots of money. A hundred years ago, there was probably automobiles. Actually, there was automobiles, but 95% of America did not have a car because they couldn't afford it. So that's another part of it. Here's another one. A hundred years ago, 98%, 93%, somewhere in there, didn't graduate high school. Because they lived to 47, they had to start working, 12, 13, 14. You work 30 years at least, no matter how old you are and how old you live. And back then, you had to get a job and start providing for the family because they were poor and they needed the help. Here's the last one. This is a real shocker. A hundred years ago, you washed your hair once a month. Shampoo was invented in 1927. I don't know why I know that, but I do. And uh, it wasn't for 10 more years, they didn't do it. And so you'd, you ever heard they take a bath on Sunday or a Saturday? You didn't usually wash your head. You'd get your head up and you'd do it a little bit later because the soap didn't do great for your hair, so you wouldn't do it that often. That's gross. The point of this is just in 100 years, how much has the world changed? Cell phones, social media, everybody's got a car. In Somos, anybody live in Somos? In Somos, their driveways, everybody's got six or seven cars and only two people live there, right? Everybody's got a car. Everybody's got phones. Everybody's got an indoor plumbing. Wow. I'm going to Mexico next week and we're going to go and there's going to be a lot of outhouses. A lot of the world still lives like this, but in our country, we haven't seen it. But think about going back 2,000 years ago. When we face that moment in time, 3,000, 4,000 years, life was different. And shepherding was a common blue-collar working job. A lot of people did it because they needed the, the, the milk and they needed the meat to survive. That's why we're talking about this. This was a prevalent job, probably one of the most popular jobs in all of the world. And that's why um, Jesus and God used this to help us understand sheep and shepherd. Today we're going to read from Acts chapter 20, and uh, I'm going to read in context just all of a bunch of stuff and just kind of talk a little bit about it, but Acts 20, 28 is really the key verse where we see uh, the Apostle Paul talk about the church as a flock and, and the shepherding thing, but then from thir- uh, 28 to 31, we're really going to dig into a little bit on how it makes sense to us. So here's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is being led by the Holy Spirit. 55 AD is about the time period. He is being led by his Holy Spirit to go back to Jerusalem. This is his third and final missions trip. He's heading back. I think we have a map up there that you can see. He's heading back to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is challenging him to come back. And now he's not going to go into Ephesus because uh, the church is going to keep him there. If he does, he's going to go just outside of Ephesus, and he's going to bring the church council and all the leaders and do a little bit of, of conference with them. So here's what it says, Acts 20, verse 18. It says, when they arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the providence of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your home. And I have, done, I have one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here the Apostle Paul is gathering the, 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 the under-shepherds, and he's communicating about the flock. 
He's saying, here's what you need to do to minister to the flock. And here's what he's saying. You remember how I lived. He's showing them, you remember when I was there for three years, I lived like this. I was working hard day and night, but I was also preaching and loving and ministering to you. He endured plots and and hardships during that time. And he says, I continued to preach this message, this message of uh, repent from sin and turn to God and receive and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that grace. Here's what it says in verse 22. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except the Holy Spirit tells me in the city and after the city that jail and suffering lies ahead. The Holy Spirit, listen to what that says. The Holy Spirit is taking him to a place of danger and suffering. But a lot of times in Christianity in our church today, we don't want to hear that. He would never. How dare him? But that's what it says, and that's something we need to understand. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I, fin- uh, unless I use it for the finishing work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul is willing to suffer for the kingdom of God. The challenge then would be, are we? The question I see in my head is, Jeff, are you willing to suffer for the kingdom of God? The second thing that we kind of derive from this is the apostle Paul would say, I'm willing to put a cross or carry a cross or have the burden of the cross a part of, uh, a part of my life instead of coronating or putting a crown on my head. The apostle Paul was the number one apostle at this moment. He had planted over 500 churches. He's on his final leg back. And everybody in the community loved the apostle Paul. Even the apostle Peter and James and all the other ones, they thought uh, Paul was great. You know how hard it is to go on a mission trip away from your family and plant churches? It's not easy. We were at a church conference a week ago, our church, and we were telling people, oh, we planted a church in the backyard. Even big churches with two or 3,000 people are like, wow, you planted a church? That's awesome. And they want to hear the story. Church planting is hard. It, most of them fail. They want to hear the message. And the apostle Paul was the chief apostle at this time, but he didn't want a crown. He was willing to carry his cross or someone else's cross. That's important. Verse 25 says, and now I know that none of you whom I've preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. Even uh, if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I don't shrink from declaring what God wants you to know. Just like I had a conversation with my grandpa and had that couple hours with him, it was awesome. The apostle Paul's now saying, I'm never going to see you guys again. These are probably the last words you're ever going to hear from me. And once again, when we hear last words, we realize it's something that will be with us forever. And here's what he says in his last words. He says, so guard yourself. Verse 28, and God's people feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased his own freed. He purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Here's what he's saying. Here's my last words. Be faithful, not successful. Guard yourself and focus on faith, not being successful. The Apostle Paul could have said, "Ah, I'm not going to go back to Jerusalem. It sounds scary. And you know what? When we make a different turn against God's will, he's not happy, but he still will bring us back and get us back on track at some point and use whatever we've done to put us back in the right spot for the kingdom of God. He does it all the time. We make one decision. How many times you're like, oh, go up to the lady in the grocery line and tell him that Jesus is Lord and invite him to church. Nah, no thanks. And you know what? She won't hear it from you, but she will hear it from someone else. 
And it might not be at that moment. It might be a little bit later, but God will still use it and communicate that message. Does that make sense? He says, guard yourself. It's an imperative. One of the first words he's saying to the council and to the elders and the pastors, guard yourself and God's people. Feed, the, the, feed and shepherd God's flock, the church. God's flock is characterized and unmistakable versus the world's flock. We call them goats. Got any goats in the house? We have God's flock, which are called sheep, and everybody that's not a part of God's flock is goats, and they're a big difference, right? There's also wolves out there. Wolves are a little different. They're trying to destroy both goat and, and, and sheep. But God's flock is different, and there's a, there's a separation between the two of them. So the first part of this message is understanding God's flock. And here's the thing. If you join God's flock and you're part of a flock and you allow yourself to be led by a shepherd, there's victory in Jesus through that, that unity in Christ. The second part is then who's the good shepherd? Now, if you've been in church for many years, we could have done the whole message about Jesus leading the good shepherd. But Jesus is the good and personal shepherd that wants to come into our life and be our, 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 our leading light each and every day. He wants us to lead us to the Father's will. Too often, though, we don't listen or we don't heed to what he's saying. And we end up living a goat life even though we call ourselves sheep because we walk out of the will of God and walk away from God. One of my favorite um, people to quote is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. As pastors, we call him the prince of, of pastors. He's really the one... It, it, if he was alive today, he would be preaching and all the pastors would come and want to hear from him. He wasn't liked by many people, but he, pre he preached a really powerful message and some of his writings are still part of it. And here's what it says. This was over 100 years ago. Once again, look at what it says. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. So all of my jokes now don't sound very good because then I look like a clown feeding goats. But do you guys know what, that, what this says? It says that our church and our mindset of what church is is going to be like entertainment. And it's going to bring a bunch of goats in that don't really believe in Jesus, don't really care about Jesus. But we as a church are like, we got to have goats or we're never going to survive. The truth is we only need sheep. But too often the church is turned into goat entertainment. Instead of hearing the gospel that Jesus is Lord, he is our shepherd, and he guides us into a place of right righteousness with God. And it says it's not always going to be easy. If you're suffering today, and it's hurtful, and you don't know if you can make it, you're right where you're supposed to be. You're sitting in a church, and you're listening, or you're online, and you're hearing right now that this is what I'm supposed to be going through because the Holy Spirit is leading me to a place of suffering. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It means it's where you're supposed to be. And in that, he starts to break away all that dross, all that patina that needs to get off so that you can be whole and right with God. Does that make sense? The Bible talks all throughout the Psalms about the Lord being our shepherd. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Acknowledge in your heart deep within something beyond what you can know and say the Lord is God. And then here's what it says. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Acknowledge who he is and realize that we are just sheep in his pasture. Psalm 23 says the Lord is my 
shepherd. And when he is my shepherd, all of my wants and desires and needs are taken, from, taken care of by him. The Lord is all that I need to have, Psalm 23. But that shepherd changes from this mythological God that does crazy things in the Old Testament to a personal God in the middle of John 10, verse 14 and 15. When Christ comes in and the word becomes flesh, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. I am the good shepherd. My sheep are here today, and if they know me and hear me, they're following me. They hear my voice. They know what's true, and they know what's false. They know what's right, and they know what's wrong. That doesn't mean that we choose that. We just know the difference. And then you look back and go, oh, man, that was wrong. I should have gone back and made that right decision. But he says, I am the good shepherd. And then he says, just as my father knows me, I know the father. And so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. You and your life have been sacrificed by the sheep, by the shepherd, so that the sheep can be a part of the flock. Here's my favorite part, verse 16. He says, I have other sheep, too, and they are not in this sheepfold, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and they will be... There And there will be one flock with one shepherd. What is he saying here? At some point, he's speaking to the Jewish people in Jerusalem, Jesus is. But at some point, that Jewish population, which is a large bunch of Christians now, is going to shrink and it's going to be taken over by Gentiles. And they haven't yet been evangelized. The Apostle Paul is evangelizing them now in our mission trip and in our reading today. But he's going to bring in, and now Gentiles actually rule Christianity, and the Masonic Jew is a small portion. And Christ is predicting that that's going to happen. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, all of us, and all the churches in the world that claim Jesus as Lord and Savior are that one flock. And we all have the same shepherd, the same Holy Spirit that's been with us today that we sang and we are ministering to right now. And the same one that spoke to Moses, the same one that was with Christ, the same one that was with Paul, is here today. Jesus' shepherd, Jesus' job as the shepherd was given to him by the Father. He says, my Father gifted you to me. And the truth is, Christ gave his life for you to have that gift. A powerful, painful gift. By his blood, he purchased our life and redeemed us. There's kind of a theme here today. At the very last part of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, it's the final book. At the very end, these final words written to the Hebrew uh, people says this. This is the last verse and the, one of the last communications to the Hebrews. It says this, 13, 20, and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all that you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Christ Jesus every good thing that is pleasing to him. And at the very end, it says, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Here's the thing. 
There's an eternal purchase that happened that you didn't see and you don't, you don't really get to see until you get to heaven, but it was done long ago so that you can have everlasting life. You can have a life beyond what you have today and you can be a part of this flock and this shepherd, uh, being shepherded by the great shepherd and in that your life will be more than you could ever imagine. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a house with a indoor plumbing. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all the cars in the world. It means you're going to have a life and a relationship with Christ that's going to be fruitful. He did this eternal purchase so that you can be redeemed. And then the question is, what am I going to do with this redemption? Am I going to sit on my butt and do nothing and live a goat life even though I call myself a sheep? Or am I actually going to follow the good shepherd into the path that he wants me to so that I can do the equipping to do his will and produce the, uh, the stuff through the power of Jesus Christ? That's pleasing him, not pleasing me. Too often I'm worried about Jeff and pleasing myself. What am I going to watch on TV? What are we going to have for dinner tonight? What, is, what am I going to wear today? But Christ doesn't care. He wants, him to, he wants his father to be pleased, not himself. As Jesus is the good shepherd, he knows us collectively. He knows all the flock. Everybody today that worshiped him, he knows them. But he also knows them individually. The hairs on your head. He knows what you like. He knows what you struggle with. He hears your prayers. He doesn't always answer them instantaneously. But he knows you independently. And he calls you out of the goat life, out of the wolf den, and into a relationship with him. He holds you in your arms. One of the most famous pictures in Google is, is Jesus holding the lamb. This is one of six that you see. And this has been digitally enhanced. It's a painting from many years ago. And you Google Jesus, and this is what he comes, this little soft Jesus that wants to hold his little baby lamb. The truth is, the lamb's probably not behaving. Can I get an amen? amen? If you were that lamb last night, you are being in his arms right now because he's holding you because you're not behaving. And he's carrying you back to the flock. He's like, this is the fourth time in two days. That's the kind of kid I was, by the way. My mom would pick me up. You can't do that. You can't do that. Jeff, you can't do that. You know, and then finally she'd sit on me, right? Right? Sorry, mom. And Jesus does that with us. It says, I am the good shepherd, and he wants to lead us into green pastures, Psalm 23, by still waters. He wants to restore our soul, and he wants to walk with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because he tenaciously wants to protect us and guide us and make us whole and right with who he is. Know that if you're walking through some terrible times, some suffering, some financial issues, some struggles, he's walking with you and waiting uh, to do something in your life. Don't quit before the miracle happens. It's a little different from what we call an under-shepherd. So we've talked about church as a flock, and we talked about who the good shepherd is, Jesus Christ. And now we're talking about the under-shepherds. Those are pastors and leaders of the church. Me. They're called hired hands or hired helps or hirelings in some of the translations. And really, it's those that have been called by the Holy Spirit. Let's read verse 28 again. So guard yourself. Guard yourself is an imperative statement. 
If you look at the Greek and know the Greek language, it's imperative that you make that happen. And God's people feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, which was purchased by his blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. When you talk about, I want to become a pastor, when you sit in a group of people and you're getting your licensing, you ask that first question is, what did God tell you about you being a pastor? If you don't have a call, they usually go, sorry, it doesn't happen. Now, you could lie. Because a lot of people want to be a pastor. Most people in church think that the upper echelon of Christianity is to become a pastor. Trust me, it's not. I'm right here, and it's not. You know what the best part of Christianity is? Is being married to a beautiful woman and watching your kids grow and live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. My pastoring job is way below that. If the best thing happens is my family serves the Lord, as we made a commitment to long ago, Joshua 24, 15, that's way better than pastoring. The upper echelon of Christianity is that me and my family will serve the Lord at whatever capacity that that is. Does that make sense? Amen. That was free. That wasn't part of the notes. We are to be called by the Holy Spirit to do ministry and to do work for the kingdom of God. And Paul is is communicating this to the people that have been called by God. And here's the final words of Peter. Once again, the same mindset. Last words from Grandpa. Last words from Paul. Last words from the Hebrew author. And now Peter, chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5. The end words. He's talking to those people that have been called by God. And here's what he says. And now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. I too will share in the glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Listen to what he says. His final words. Same thing we've been talking. Same theme we've been talking about. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you're eager to serve. A year ago at a conference we went to, they were telling us, love the people you have. Don't use them to get to where you want to go. God has given us you and will take you, each and every one of you, almost each and every one of you. And we're going to love you right where you're at care for that flock. It says, don't lord over the people. It's not my job to tell you what to do and I'm your king. Don't lord over the people you're assigned to care for, but lead them by being a good example. And when the great shepherd appears, at one point when we're in heaven, we'll be crowned. But never on earth. And never ending glory of honor will happen. So the Apostle Paul is in this conference room and he's communicating to the church and he says this, verse 29. I know that false teachers, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come among you after I leave and not sparing the flock. And even some men from our own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Verse 31, the beginning is an imperative. And listen to what Paul says. He says this. This is how I live with you. Remember, watch out. Here's how I ministered with you. Remember the three years that I was with you. My constant watch and care over you day and night and many tears. You know, ministering is not what we think it is. You don't realize, and I'm not saying this because I need an awe or an applause. You don't realize how many calls after nine or ten that you get that require tears and prayers and counseling and issues that happen. 
And the apostle Paul's like, remember when I was with you? And I walked with so-and-so through that death, and I walked with so-and-so through the addiction, and when I walked and I prayed all night because of what was happening with the church. Remember that? That's really what ministry is. Be watchful. He says, be careful because wolves are going to come into the church and they're not going to spare the flock. If you've ever been on the farm and you've seen a wolf come into the chicken house, they kill a couple of chickens and they only take one, but they kill three or four. The, the wolves aren't here to spare your life. They're here to destroy you and you might just be part of the carnage because they're trying to get to me or Jeremy or to my wife or someone in the church. It says they can also rise up from within the church. And distort the truth. How do you know false teaching? Here's a little bit of understanding false teaching. If you want to know about false teaching, here's what you need to know. First of all, false teachers don't build you up. They're actually negative. They have selfish mindset. They start with what we call healthy doctrine. And over time, they start to fade away from good holy doctrine and point you into a selfish place. And they start to separate the good sheep and huddle over here and start complaining about things over here to the overall church. They don't build you up. They speak a lot of negative things. They're very selfish. They bring judgment. And their job is to tear you away from the will of God. We are to be faithful instead of successful. Faithful instead of success. That doesn't make sense. In this world today, in this day and age, why would we want to be faithful instead of successful? I want to close with this. I, got a, I have a huge job as a, as a pastor. I have a huge job. It's more than what I ever thought, and I love every bit of it. It is so challenging. It's, it's, it spreads me so thin moments in my life. It's a huge job, and I'm going to show you a list of what it's called to be a pastor in just a second. But here's the thing. Since the beginning of September, there's been a burden on my heart, and the burden is, is that we aren't caring for you enough. And I've been asking Dustin and some other people in the church to help us figure out how do we care for a church of several hundred people? And the only way that I can figure it out is with the communication card. Our church isn't a communication card church. We don't ask you to fill one out and take attendance from it. We don't power over them. We take the prayer cards and we, we pray for them like we all do. But we don't do communication cards because uh, just some past things that have happened. But here's what I want you to do. If you want to be cared for by our church, if you feel like I want people to think about me and pray for me, and if they don't see me in a couple weeks at church, that they'll reach out to me. If that's you today and you want to be a part of the care team or care plan, will you put your name and your email and your phone number? Everybody say legible. I don't write legible. So have your neighbor write it. Put your email or your phone number and put on the very back, I want to be cared for. And we will put you in a list. And we, if we don't see you for a couple weeks, we're going to go, what happened to you? Oh, I'm on vacation to Idaho. Great. We'll see you when you get back. If you go to another church, just say, hey, I've gone to another church. We'll say, great. Share the love of Christ. But if you want to be cared for, fill this out and say, I want to be cared for. I haven't been approved by this. My people are going to be upset with me. But if you want to be cared for, we want to follow you in your life. And I believe this is the start. So fill one out and do it regularly. So that we know that you're alive and well. Because a couple of times recently, we've had a couple people that have kind of fell through the cracks. And they've been in uh, tough places through surgery and through issues. And we didn't know. And we want to reach out to you. 
and we want to remember you, and it's a hard job. So hopefully that makes sense. As a, yeah, thank you. As a pastor, there are specific roles that God has given us. And I just want to show you a list of what the job of ministry looks like. It's not easy. It's not fun. I mean, it is fun, but it's very hard. Here's the first thing. The Bible tells us that we are, number one, is to feed the sheep. Soul care and preaching the gospel into your life. Number one, pray for you, soul care and and preaching. Acts chapter 6 shows you, if you're looking for some reading on this, where the apostles were doing everything. The food program, the benevolence program, the care program, the ministry program. They were doing everything and they were running ragged and they couldn't do the work. And so they brought seven new people in and they did all the care. And they, they allowed the pastors to preach and teach, which the gospel says we're supposed to do. The second one is to know the sheep. Our job is to know the sheep. Anybody have their name tag on? You don't have your name tag on. (laughs) We put the name tags on so that everybody can get to know you, but we can get to know you. We want to know you by name. And that's one of the things that we are called to do. Know you by name. Spend time with them. Be interested in your situation and in your life. There's a local pastor in town. We'll call him Richard. That's his name. He's got a church of a couple hundred people, and he's like, my goal is to meet everybody in the congregation once a year. Well, that's great. You make the deal, but you don't talk to people for one year. That's not very personal either. We're trying to not do that. We try and meet everybody out there, but we want to know you. We want to meet with you. We want to buy you a cup of coffee. We want to chat with you about whatever's going on. And that's why this is important. Put a card out and say, I want to be cared for. we got a care team. We'll reach out to you. Number three, you need to be guided. Sheep need to be guided. And God, for whatever reason, has appointed me as part of your leadership team. And I've accepted it. And I love doing it. I'm to take that first step. When God says step out of the boat, I'm supposed to step out in faith. I'm supposed to be a leader by example. Hopefully you see that. Hopefully you see the way I treat my wife, not just at church, which probably is not as good as I do at home because I make a lot of jokes, but she's an amazing woman. But you see us living life and being a good example. We are to be leading in, in faith, leading in giving, leading in forgiving, leading in encouragement, leading in love, leading in grace, leading in mercy. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to lead by an example. If God says, I'm going to part the seas, I'm going to send Jeremy first. He's a water baby. He's been in the water. He can handle it. He's young. He's going to lead us. The second, the, the fourth one is guard the sheep. Sheep wander. Sheep have their own legs and their own brain. That doesn't mean they should use them, but they do. And that's why that picture of Jesus is carrying them. Because that sheep is like, oh, it looks cute. No, it's been bad. And it's bad. Yeah. And he's bringing them back into the fold. Sheep wander, and our job is to protect, to guide, to bring discernment into your life, to, to, to correct sometimes the rebuke. That's our job. Ask tough questions, give tough answers, and try and go after those that have wandered. It doesn't always work, but we try. Number five, protect. We're supposed to protect the church from wolves coming in. You know what? The only way I know how to do that is to be close to the truth. The only way I can figure out counterfeit and false teaching is to be close to the word of God. So I read it, and all the pastors and leaders in the church try and read it every day as much as they can 
so that we can see false teaching when it comes in and we can protect the church from the, from the, from the um, lies of the enemy. Number six, love the sheep. We are to love people. The problem is, is there's no cookie cutter love. People are different. People have different loves and concepts and problems and issues and struggles and joys and happiness, different types of weddings and life celebrations. And so we just need to try and love you wherever you're at, one person at a time. And we do that, verse number seventh part, just as the good shepherd. We follow the example of the chief shepherd. Because he feeds us, he knows us, he guides us, he guards us, he protects us, and he loves his sheep. If you're looking for some good reading today about the shepherd, read Ezekiel chapter 34. 11 to 16 is a great place, but just read all of Ezekiel 34. I'd love to read it, but I don't have time. But here's what the end of Ezekiel 34, 31 says. You are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people. I am your God. The sovereign Lord has spoken. That means end of story, period. Nothing else needs to be added. Over the last few weeks, we've been trying to tell you what the church is to look like. A bride, we're to love the bride. The church is to be a city on the hill, and I'm to be one of those lights in the city on the hill. The church is to be a hospital where people can come in and get restored and healing. The church is to be a body. The church is to be a family. And the church is to be a flock. And we're trying to show you that we as a congregation, we as a, a leadership staff and, 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 and elder board or a council board, we love the church. And we want you to love it just like we do. And we want to use these images so that we can clarify the church. Hopefully you've gotten something out of them and it's enhanced your faith. Here's another quote, and then I'll say another thing, and I'll get off stage. It says, the day, here's Charles Spurgeon writes, The day we find the perfect church, it becomes imperfect the moment we join it. So there's no perfect church, and now that you've joined, you're joining this imperfect church. I want to close with this, and I don't know if everybody remembers, but a year ago this day, tomorrow, I had a heart attack. During the service, I'd had chest pains. I had something that night, and I stupidly went through two messages. And then after second service right now, my wife, I was talking to Nita. My wife's like, Nita, Jeff's got to go to the hospital. He's having a heart attack. But I'm so thankful for the flock. I'm so thankful for the leaders and how they ministered me back to health. My wife took over my life, which is actually kind of fun. Jeremy and, and Dustin and Jeff Barnett and Tara and Ashley, they took over the church. And they cared for me. And you guys prayed for me. It's amazing what a, how fast a year happens. And the last words that my grandfather said ring so true to me today. Take care of yourself. He wants you to take care of yourself spiritually. Are you in a good spiritual condition? Take care of yourself, mind, body, and soul. Stay close to the flock, and you will have victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we claim you as our victory today. 
Lord, we claim you as our, our Father, and we thank you for the Savior that you've brought into us that has purchased our life. Lord, thank you for the help that you've given me and the blessing of, of, of a stent in my heart, Lord, and I pray for blessing and healing upon everybody in this congregation. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus and they want to receive this life in Jesus Christ and become part of this flock and be a sheep and no longer a goat, if you're here today and you want a new life, accept Jesus right now by saying this prayer deep from your heart and with your mouth. Repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. I know you died and that you rose again for my eternal life. Show me more what that means. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and teach me how to be a sheep all the days of my life following the Good Shepherd. We love you, King Jesus, and all God's people said.